Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. What is up, everybody? Greetings and salutations. Keith Spencer Kite coming to you late night on Wednesday, September 13th, here in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. Keyboard Kimura, one question for every fight for Noche UFC, which takes place on Saturday at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Coming to you a little later because today's been a busy day. I took the, took the day off. I went golfing. went golfing with my brother-in-law and one of our good friends, my realtor. Uh, we went and had a good... Good round of golf until probably the, the 17th or 18th hole. Then it went sideways. Went and grabbed some lunch. Hung out with the dog. Laid low for most of the day and just kind of relaxed a little bit. But it had to come. Had to come to Keyboard Kimura to talk about Noche UFC. To give you the Wednesday staple. One question for every fight. So let's get to it. Main event. Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko for the flyweight title. 
immediate rematch from their fight at UFC 285 in March. My question is, what did that last fight tell us about Valentina Shevchenko? This is the question that hovers over this fight, and it's the most important question that can be asked at this time because there's multiple potential answers, and we won't know until Saturday when these two women get in the cage for a second time and we see how it plays out. Now, one of the answers, one of the potential answers, or one of the options, one of the variants, is that Valentina Shevchenko won round two, won round three, and was winning round four until she took a calculated risk that Alexa Grosso and her team had scouted out and she capitalized on perfectly, just perfectly. Shevchenko throws the spinning back kick. Grosso jumps on the back, takes her down, sinks in that choke, jam done, new champ. And it's just a matter of, I made a miscalculation. I made a mistake. She got the better of me. Props to her. But there's nothing, there's nothing more to it than that. That's certainly one of the possible answers. We could see Valentina Shevchenko come out on Saturday and look absolutely phenomenal, dominate this fight, reclaim the title, and just get back to doing big things at 125 pounds. There are other options, though. One of the things, one of the other possible variants, is that if you combine this fight with the Tyler Santos fight from last June in Singapore, UFC 275, we now have consecutive fights where Valentina Shevchenko has lost the title and then won by split decision in the closest fight up until that point of her reign, where the fight really seemed to shift on the accidental clash of heads. And still one official scored the fight for Tyler Santos. After years and years, seven consecutive fights, seven consecutive title defenses, I should say, of dominating to where we freaked out that Jennifer Maya won a round. We had her lose the fight on one scorecard, lose two rounds on the other two, and then lose a fight, which feels like things are trending in the wrong direction. So that's another possible variant. The other thing here is that it might also be that Alexa Grasso, after all of these years, has fully realized her potential, has fully tapped into all the things that showed promise, all the, all the reasons that we had high hopes for her early in her career, and she has put them all together. She's gone through the struggles at 115, and now at 125 has found a home, has found confidence, has found poise, and is just the absolute best version of herself possible. Elliot Marshall and I put together the Coach Conversation series this week for this fight. It is up now on UFC.com. I please urge you to read it. I think it is one of the best series going in this space, not just because I'm involved with it, but because it gives you insights into these big fights. And one of the things that he and I talked about when it comes to Grasso is that in that first fight, she just stuck in there. And she's the kind of fighter, because she is so fundamentally sound, that she's always going to stick in there, right? It's a little bit of Sean Strickland, where because he does everything pretty simple, pretty plain, you're never really wowed by it, but you're never really running away from Sean Strickland. And with Alexa Grosso, as much as Valentina Shevchenko 
won the second and third rounds and was winning the fourth round. It's not like she was blowing Grosso out of the water. It wasn't one of those fights where it was one-way traffic and Grosso couldn't land anything. She won the first round. And yes, she was getting beaten in those next, those middle frames, but she stuck in there. There was no part of her that looked like she didn't want to be in that fight. And that to me could be part of this answer that she has just grown up to be the absolute best version of herself right now. The last sort of variant of this, the last potential answer or piece of this puzzle, because it could be multiple things being true all at once, is that we might just be at that point where the thing we talk about all the time of your window is, is only so big. Your opportunity to be the best is only so long, is only so great. And eventually the generations catch up to you. The next wave catches up to you. We just might be at that point. It doesn't mean that Valentina Shevchenko isn't an all-time great, isn't somebody destined for the Hall of Fame and a phenomenal talent that could still beat just about everyone in this division. But we may be at that point where it's just shifted and she's just taken a half step behind Alexa Grosso and maybe some of the others in this division, quite frankly. And Grosso, it's not even that Shevchenko has stepped back. It's that Grosso and that next wave have come up to being astride of Valentina and ahead of Valentina, potentially. It could be any of these things. And we're not going to know until Saturday. I think the first round is going to be really instructive and really informative in terms of how the fight is going to play out and also answering some of these, providing some insights into answering these questions or this question and the many different ripple effects of it, the many different variants of how it could be answered. Because I think if Valentina Shevchenko comes out and wins that first round and dominates that first round, that tells us something. If Alexa Grosso comes out and wins that first round and dominates that first round, that tells us something entirely different. And if it's super close, then we've got a third thing to think about. And we'll sit back and we'll watch this until it ends, whenever it ends. I am fascinated by this fight. I cannot wait for Saturday night's main event. Just like when I was a little kid and wanted to record the wrestling show. Now I am a 45-year-old man or 44, soon to be 45. And I'm looking forward to the Mixed Martial Arts main event of Noche UFC on Saturday. Let's go. Co-main event. Welterweight division, Kevin Holland versus Jack Della Maddalena. Absolutely adore this fight. The thing I want to know is whether I'm becoming a Kevin Holland guy. So, for many, many years, on this, on this platform, in this space, I have talked about Kevin Holland being one of the most, most frustrating fighters in the sport for me to watch because I think he is abundantly talented and seems to care about entertaining more so than winning. And that drives me insane because at the end of the day, we're in there to win. And here's the thing. I talked to Kevin Holland before this fight for a story that will be up on UFC.com later this week. And I asked him that question. I said, look, from my perspective, it seems like you are more focused on entertaining than anything else. And if you can win, great. You're always going to try to win. It's not that you're not trying to win, but your focus is on delivering the most entertaining fight. And I referenced the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight where they had a gentleman's agreement of, we're not going to go to the ground. And I said, you look at his previous fights to that, 
He got out wrestled. You have some wrestling. You have some submission skills on the ground. You're a black belt. Would have been an easy path. And he said, yep, but I like entertaining. I think I can beat him on the feet. And I'm an entertainer. One of the things I'm here for is to entertain. And so I'm going to go out there and do the thing. I think styles make fights. I want to be entertaining. So that's what I'm going to do. And I tell you what, you got to appreciate it. You got to respect it. I've always said like Kevin Holland could do Kevin Holland and it's up to him. I'm, I can be the guy that's opposite of it and thinks, Hey man, I just wish, but doesn't begrudge him. Then when you sit down and talk to him about it and he says, yeah, I'm here to entertain. You got to respect it. The piece that makes me start leaning towards maybe I might be becoming a Kevin Holland guy is that he's also talked about, and we also talked about adding a wrestling coach, which we saw some of the benefits of in the Michael Chiesa fight and how he wanted to, and the way he framed it was Travis Luter is like a father figure to me. He's the man that gave me my black belt. I didn't want to not disgrace. Disgrace wasn't the word, but like I owe it to him to show people I'm better on the ground than I have thus far. And if that means integrating some wrestling, excuse me, then that's what I have to do. And we saw that in the Michael Chiesa fight and gosh, did it look good. Man alive, did it look good. He had Chiesa flinching and biting on every fake. And when he got him down to the ground and he snapped him down in that front headlock position, he laced up that choke and we were done. And there are pieces of Kevin Holland's game that are really fascinating to me. The, the reason he has been the frustrating guy for me is that I see the upside. I see all the things that he could be in my estimation if he puts it together, if he focuses in, if he stops worrying about talking to people at the side of the octagon or making gentlemen's agreements with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and just lets his tools go to work because he's super talented. And now this weekend, he gets in there with Jack Della Maddalena, who is a guy that is just, listen, if you are not focused, if you are not dialed in, if you are not ready to go, he is going to bust you up. He had a tough fight last time out against Basil Hafez on short notice, making weight for a second time in a week. I'm cutting Jack a ton of slack for that one. He had won all of his fights in the UFC, four straight before that in the first round. Those, to me, are more indicative of who he is and what he can do than his most recent circumstances of that are really tough. And I think we need to give that little bit of space and grace to Della for still just, I mean, still got to win, still moving forward, still undefeated in the UFC, 15 straight wins overall. But I think there will be some people that look at it and go, well, he only eked out. He was supposed to fight the week before. He made weight that day. Fight got pulled. They moved it back another week. He didn't want to make the trip from Australia to Las Vegas and go home empty-handed. So he stayed in Vegas, moved forward the next card, had a tough fight, won a split decision, got a bonus, and then went back to Australia. Great opportunity here for both guys to really make a statement and show where they fit in this division, what kind of upside, what kind of forward progress they can make in this division going forward. Cannot wait for this one either. Middle fight on the main card, bantamweight division, Raul Rosas Jr. versus Terrence Mitchell. My question is, what did Rosas win, learn, excuse me, from that fight against Christian Rodriguez? So in that fight, he came out, tried to wrestle real hard in the first round, didn't work, and he was done. 
C-Rod defended well, more experienced guy, both in the UFC and just overall, even though he's still only 25, and just went out there and kind of big brothered him. Kind of just, listen, man, I'm I'm the senior, you're the freshman. This ain't happening. I'm going to take my ball back. Here you go. Didn't quite give him a swirly, didn't quite dunk his head in the toilet, but like big brothered him and beat him up a little bit and, and had a great performance and showed that there's a lot of green to Raul Rosas Jr. still. And so I want to see on Saturday, and let me be clear, I don't necessarily think we're going to see and we're going to get answers to this because this matchup is quite favorable to Raul Rosas Jr. But I want to see if there are adjustments, if there are changes, if there are improvements. While I think he can go out and will probably go out and run through Terrence Mitchell. We saw Terrence Mitchell take a short notice fight against Cameron Simon who was able to take him to the ground and get a stoppage win in the first round. feel like Rosas Jr. is probably going to do something similar. What I'm looking forward to seeing, what I want to see, ideally, is that he comes out with a little more poise, that he comes out with a little more patience. He's not going redlining right out of the gate. There isn't that urgency of, I have to get to you right away or else I don't know what to do. Set stuff up. Set the takedowns up. Let's see the hands a little bit. Take your time. Be patient. That's got to be one of the primary lessons from the loss to Christian Rodriguez. And I want to see if he can implement it on Saturday. Lightweight division, Daniel Zellhuber versus Christos Yagos. My question is, who is the real Daniel Zellhuber? Now, I ask this. Because in his debut against Trey Ogden, he didn't pull the trigger. And he lost to Trey Ogden. No disrespect to Trey Ogden. Not a guy I necessarily want to see a young, at the time, undefeated prospect losing to. Because it then makes me really nervous about that young, undefeated prospect. And what kind of forward potential they have. Now, to be fair, he's a young man. 24 years old, I believe. And then in his sophomore appearance, he goes out and looks really good against Lando Venata who, in my estimation, is a step ahead of Trey Ogden. And Daniel Zell Huber just got it dialed in. And so maybe first fight is the jitters, right? You're on the big stage the UFC had put together. He was part of the contender series package of following him going forward towards his UFC debut. And maybe some of that and some of that pressure of being undefeated and carrying that into his debut kind of weighed on him and got to him. And maybe that's part of the reason he was a little bit gun shy. I will ask Eric Nixick when I speak to him next. I will ask Daniel Zellhuber if I speak to him about that first fight. Because he didn't look like that guy in the second fight. In the second fight, he looked like the kid that on Contender Series and prior to that had been beating everybody and showed some flashes. He has a bunch of size for this division. Good range, good length. He's a good striker. I'm always going to be confident in and curious about athletes that come from terrific camps like Extreme Couture, not just because I am friends with Eric and appreciate everything that he does, but because it is a great gym where young fighters are getting excellent coaching, excellent sparring rounds, excellent training and instruction. It is a place where people can grow, and we've seen that. And I want to see on Saturday against the guy in Christos Yagos, who has been able to grind out a good career in the UFC. He's not a top 15 guy. 
He's kind of a middle second 15 guy, but closer to the back of that. And maybe not even in that second 15, but he's a capable hand. He's a guy that's been around for a while. He's been in some good fights. He's got a couple wins. He's had a couple losses coming off a good knockout win over Ricky Glenn last time out. Will be able to, if, if Daniel Zell Huber isn't ready and isn't somebody that is prepared and focused and dialed in, Christos Yagos will, will show us that. And if he is, if Zell Huber is ready to go, then he can go out and beat a guy like this and show this is the real version. The Lando Venata version and this version on Saturday, this is me going for it. First one, it happens, jitters. We've seen lots of people lose their debut. I'm good going forward. I want to see it. We've got one on each side. Now this is the rubber match. Let's see. Win or lose, show me who you are on Saturday. Featherweight main card opener, Fernando Padilla versus Kyle Nelson. My question is, what can Padilla do for an encore? So Padilla is someone that garnered attention, garnered the opportunity to compete in the UFC through the Looking for a Fight series. Dana, Dana White and the crew was at a Fury FC event. Fernando Padilla looked good got a contract. Hey, here you go. And then went more than two years on the sidelines waiting to make his debut. Visa issues, COVID, all of those things kept him sidelined until earlier this year when he waltzed into the octagon and lit up Julian Arosa. And now if you watch it back, you can make a case. Hey, Arosa, a guy that has taken some punishment, can take a shot, can battle back, was still with it, wasn't all the way out, but he got dropped bad by Padilla in the center of the cage. And then the kid was on him and it looked great. And now he gets a guy in Kyle Nelson that is similarly a veteran, but a different style of fighter. This is one of the things Harry and I always talk about, right? Of you've got to pass the different tests. So he passed the veteran rangy striker test in Julian Arosa. Now this weekend he gets the veteran burly grappler test in Kyle Nelson, who is going to look to work behind big hooks, but mostly closing the distance and grinding away and doing some wrestling and forcing you to defend and expend energy dealing in the clinch and dealing against the cage as he did to Blake Builder in Vancouver. Some of that fight was fought at range and he did well in that fight as well in terms of the striking. But this is the, can you beat a grinder? Can you beat a guy that's Feeling himself a little bit, right? Battled Duho Choi to a draw. Comes off the win in Vancouver. Consecutive fights without a loss is how I will frame it. Unbeaten in his last two. And so is coming in with an experience edge. Both in the UFC and overall. Was one of the top Canadian fighters in the country prior to signing with the UFC. Been in there with a bunch of veteran hands. Bunch of veteran talent. So what can Padilla do? The, the debut was great. It was fantastic. He is on my long list of fighters to mention and look to in the newcomer of the year section. But now we get the, now we get the sophomore appearance and it's another good test. It's the right kind of step up. So let's see what he can do. It's keyboard Kimura. One question for every fight for Noche UFC presented by one go one bone. I am E. Spencer kite. We move to the prelims strawweight division, Lupe Godinez versus Elise Reed. My question is, can Gudinez keep it rolling? So, Lupi, obviously somebody from up in this area, originally from Mexico, moved to Vancouver. She's now down training with Alexa Grasso and the crew at the Lobo Gym. But still, 
residency here in, in Vancouver with Titan MMA and the crew there. I'm sure we will see them in her corner this weekend, as well as the members of the Lobo Gym team. She is somebody that came into the UFC. I was really excited to see her hit the UFC. She had won the LFA title from Vanessa Demopoulos. Lost the split decision to Jessica Panay in her debut. I thought she won that fight. Got a submission win her next fight out. Took a fight the week later. Up a division, right? Loses to Luana Carolina. Since then, she is 4-1. and one. The only loss is to Angie Hill. And that's one of those losses that for a relatively young, relatively inexperienced fighter, that was her 11th pro fight, I'm okay with that. Because it's a learning opportunity. It's a chance to figure a couple of things out. And since then, she's earned good wins over Cynthia Calvillo and Emily Ducote. And I think she has a very clear path to victory this weekend. She should, in theory, be able to go out and grapple the ever-loving hell out of Elise Reed, who is a Taekwondo stylist who wants to bounce around and be on her feet and move and footwork and kick and throw kicks and range and throw some more kicks. And so I want to see if Gudinez can put together a third straight victory, pick up a fifth win in six fights, and really start, really get to that point where it's, without question, I'm I'm done fighting these types of fighters. And I mean that with all, all due respect to Elise Reed and Emily Ducote and Cynthia Calvio. I'm done fighting these fighters. Now is the time I should be fighting ranked people, ranked opponents, or people just outside of the top 15 and figuring out if I can go forward. Because we've seen the hands come along. She has some natural power. She's a terrific grappler. She's a strong woman. She's looked very good over these last five fights, including the Angie Hill fight. She had good moments in that fight. Clear loss, not taking anything away from Angie Hill, but a growth moment. And we've seen the growth since. And I want to see on Saturday if she could just keep it going. Middleweight division, Roman Kopilov versus Josh Fremd. My question is, where, where did this come from with Kopilov? Like, where did this come from? I was talking to Harry about this after Kopilov's last victory against Claudio Hibero. And my kind of thesis, my idea with it, was that I think we were a little too quick to write him off instead of looking at the circumstances of those two fights. So for Roman Kopilov, right? Comes into the UFC at 8-0, loses his first two fights, then has since won three straight, all by stoppage, last two by head kick, or last two by kicks, one to the body, one to the head. When he won, sorry, when he made his debut, it was nearly a year after his previous fight. He had had a fight canceled, he had had some visa issues, loses that fight to Carl Roberson. We then go two more years before the fight with Albert Durayev, had some injuries, had some visa issues, that's in the midst of COVID, and it doesn't go his way. He loses a unanimous decision, but he, he started coming on, if I remember correctly, towards the end of that fight at UFC 267. He then is out for another 11 months until Paris last year when he knocks out Alessio de Chirico a minute into the third round and starts this run. And so my thesis at the time to Harry was like, did we just sort of not give him that grace of it's hard to debut in the UFC. It's harder when you're shaking off a year of rust. And then subsequently you're shaking off two years of rust. You just haven't had the opportunity to get loose, to get ready, to, to prepare, to evolve, to develop, to get comfortable because you haven't been able to fight. You haven't been able to train. You haven't been able to compete 
And maybe we were just a little too quick to say, this guy may not be a thing. Now, the flip side of that, and Harry presented it is, it may also just be that he's in there with Alessio De Chirico and Punaheli Soriano and Claudio Hibero, who aren't killers, who aren't guys that are in the top 15, who aren't guys that are crushing the rankings right now. And so he's taking advantage of them. I don't think Saturday is necessarily going to answer any of that because I think Kapilov has advantages over Josh Fremd that we will see and he will run this winning streak to four. But I kind of want to see how he does it. I want to see if there are those moments like in the Hibero fight towards the end of the first round where he gets clipped and it feels like he's in a bad spot and then he comes out in, in the second round and just head kicks him and it turns Salt Lake City into head kick city. And then Justin Gaethje turns it into head kick city in the main event. But I want to see, can he go out there and have a really clean performance that backs up some of this performance? And then we'll find out whether he calls out Sean Strickland again. And if whoever is doing the post-fight interviews tells him he shouldn't ask for championship fights. Move to the flyweight division, Edgar Scheires versus Daniel Lacerda. My question here is just, how many more kicks at the can does Lacerda get? I I don't ever want to be somebody that says people shouldn't get opportunities and things like that. But there has to come a point where you go, you know, we, we've given you a try. We've given you a shot. I understand some of the veterans that have gotten four, five, six, seven opportunities towards the end of their career because of the stature of them, right? BJ Penn exits on a lengthy losing streak. Anderson Silva exits having struggles. Dan Hardy, I believe, exited on a five-fight losing streak. Daniel Lacerda comes into this one on a four-fight losing streak. He is 0-4 in the UFC. He has been finished in every one of those fights. There hasn't really been anything that I've seen in any of those fights where I thought, you know, it's just around the corner, though. They weren't super close. They weren't ultra-competitive. Two of those fights are first-round losses. Fight with Jeff Molina, he had a couple moments in the first round, but then he gets dispatched inside of a minute in the second round. Fight with CJ Vergara, yes, he had Vergara on skates in that first round, but Vergara got him out of there in the second. And prior to that fight, he had missed weight and had a fight canceled against Vinicius Salvador. So he's 0-4 with a botched weight cut that canceled another fight, and yet he's coming back out here. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. And this isn't me looking to take money off somebody's table or anything like that. But I have to think that there is another flyweight out there that could have faced Edgar Scheides on this weekend because Edgar Scheides looked great in his debut. Went out and gave Tatsuro Tyra all he could handle. Had him in bad spots in the third round of that fight and was competitive with him in the first two. So why are we putting him in here with a guy that's 0-4? It doesn't tell us anything. And now the really wild thing, and this is knock on wood and the MMA gods and all of that, is what do we do if Lacerda wins this fight? If he comes out and looks good and beats Edgar Scheiders and gets him out of there and he wins this fight and all of a sudden he's won his last fight. Well, he's still one and four in the UFC. I don't know what this one. This one's confusing to me. Move to the flyweight division, back to the flyweight division. Tracy Cortez versus Jasmine Jazdavisius. I love this fight. I can't believe this fight is on the prelims. It should be on the main card. 
Offer always stands, boys. UFC, Sean Shelby, McMahon, Dana White. If you want somebody to give you the like, hey, this fight should probably be on the main card, holler at your boy. You know how to get in touch with me. My question here is, can Jazz Davisius keep it rolling? Very similar to the other Canadian on this card in Lupe Godinez. Jasmine Jazz Davisius has won her last two fights this year, defeating Gab- Gabriela Fernandez in a fight where she leaned on her wrestling to just get herself back in the win column and get a good victory. And then out here in Vancouver in June, she did the same thing to Miranda Maverick, which is a much better win. Prior to those two victories, she lost to Natalia Silva. And at the time, it felt like, you know, that's it's one of those tough ones. You wanted to see Jazz win that fight to prove she was somebody going forward. As we get more than a year away from it, it's not a bad loss because Natalia Silva seems to be the goods. She seems to be the real deal. She is in the top 10 in the flyweight division. So that one's okay. That's a acceptable loss in your second UFC appearance against a top 10, potentially even top five fighter in Natalia Silva. And so this is an opportunity in a style, similar style matchup with Cortez, who is at her best when she is wrestling, when she is grappling, where Jazz Davisius, who is relatively young into her game, into her MMA career, she's a little bit older as far as prospects go, because I believe she's 34. Still pretty young as a as a fighter, though. There's not a lot of miles there. There's not a lot of, of damage accumulated. Still figuring this out. Can she push this forward, get herself back into the rankings by knocking off Tracy Cortez, who hasn't lost in the UFC yet, who's on a great run of success, who has a split decision win over Ann Blanchfield, though I think Blanchfield won that fight. If you go back and watch it, I think that, uh, can't remember what it was, but Blanchfield won that fight, folks. But still, is somebody that's 4-0 in the UFC and coming back and has a name, and it's somebody that people are interested in and tune in to see, can Jazz keep it moving forward? She has looked really good these last two fights. I was thoroughly impressed with the performance against Miranda Maverick. And I know that Maverick was dealing with an eye issue in that fight, but I can't take away from the performance Jasmine Jazz Davisius had. She went out there and did what she needed to do, what she was supposed to do, handled her business. One of the Canadians to run the table that night in Vancouver. See if she can keep it going, run it to three consecutive victories this year with a big win over Tracy Cortez on Saturday. Move to the lightweight division. Alex Reyes versus Charlie Campbell. My question is what, if anything, can we expect from Alex Reyes? So the older brother, a former light heavyweight title challenger, Dominic Reyes, returns after a six-year layoff. It has been six years to the day on Saturday since Alex Reyes's last fight. He made his debut on relatively short notice against Mike Perry, up at welterweight, did not go well. He got dispatched really quickly, a minute and 19 seconds into the first round. Six years to the day, September 16th, 2017. Since then, he has dealt with multiple back injuries, numerous surgeries and procedures to try to deal with that back injury. And now he's back. There have been a bunch of canceled fights. He had a opponent pull out here. It was supposed to be Natan Levy. Now it is Charlie Campbell, a... Longo and Weidman MMA representative competed on the contender series last year, losing to Chris Duncan. This is one of those, like, I have no idea what to expect. If you tell me that Alex Reyes is a hundred percent healthy and going to come out and look great. It's a possibility. If you tell me he's now 36 and hasn't fought in six years and it's going to be difficult. That wouldn't surprise me either. I just, I have no feel for this fight. Because it's been so long. And I I frankly 
didn't think we would ever see Alex Reyes compete again. And that would have been unfortunate because I never want to see somebody's career and opportunities cut short by injuries, but it just seemed like he was too far gone to make this return. He is back. He gets a tough assignment in Charlie Campbell. They both here on relatively short notice or Campbell is on short notice. Reyes dealing with a short notice opponent. It's a tough ask after this many years off. We'll see what we get. I have no clue. I just want to see what we get from him. And in the opener, strawweight division, Josephine Knutson against Marnik Mann. My question is, can Josephine Knutson impress Dana White on Saturday? A couple weeks back, Knutson was, I believe at the time, the first fighter from this season of the Contender Series to not garner a contract. We'd gone through a couple of, couple of weeks where everybody got a contract, and then Knutson won her fight, dominant fashion, handled Isis Verbeek quite well, won every round, swept the scorecards, and we got to afterwards, and Dana White said, you know, I just, I just didn't see it. And yet here she is, tagged in, originally on short notice to face Yasmin Lucindo, who has since withdrawn, been replaced by Martin McMahon, herself a Contender Series alum. And I just want to see if the Swedes got a little bit of a chip on her shoulder to go out and say, well, you weren't impressed before, boss. What about now? How about now, now that I go and put it on this girl? Kind of feels like one of those opportunities. I wouldn't put it past Newton. She seemed very frustrated, very dejected that she did not get that opportunity. I thought it was warranted. I thought it was a better performance than some of the athletes that did get contracts that week. So we'll see if Saturday she can go out and earn the respect and earn the attention of UFC President Dana White. That is it for the program. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Thank you for bearing with me of getting it out here a little later in the day. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Sign up, subscribe, like, hit the notification button if you are watching this on the Keyboard Kimura YouTube page. Sign up for the Keyboard Kimura Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. Sign up for $0, $5 a month, or 50 bucks for the year. Support me, support my efforts. Gets everything delivered to your inbox as soon as I hit publish. And go check out the boys at One Bone onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite promo code Spencer Kite at checkout for 15% off your first offer. If you are in the Montreal area, a couple of weeks from now, they are doing a sample sale at One Bone HQ. I cannot advocate for you to go and check it out and meet the crew and check out the gear. If you are in and around the Montreal area, I have family that lives out that way. If I could get in touch with them and tell them to go, they should go. If you do, please go check them out. Tell them I sent you. Tell them I say hello. Grab some gear. It is the best stuff going. Rocking the high-low right now. Serious. All the time. Always. Shouts to the boys. Shouts to you and yours for tuning in. Appreciate you. I love you. I will be back tomorrow with 10 things for Noche UFC. Looking forward to this one. I'm starting to get excited. It's been a good week. Already been a good week. We're halfway through. We're getting closer going to be fun. Noche UFC, Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko 2. Thank you for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. See you tomorrow.